Jacob, by the look on your face, like I can tell you watching this, you were like Walter White locked up in the car. Poppy, no! <laughs> Septimius is not on your side! No! <laughs> Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic's review of the 2005 HBO original series, Rome. Season 1, Episode 7, Farcelous. Gentlemen, I think the consensus here is that this one was a big doozy. Uh, my biggest takeaway was that, um, gosh, listening back to last episode and BP talking about how Octavia, he feels like something big's coming up for her. Um, that was like probably uh, one fifth of the interesting things that happened this episode in terms of character <laughs> interactions. So, yeah, we had a lot rolling on here. Yeah, I want to. Real quick, just to sum up my feelings on this episode. Uh, Kay, can you uh, edit in that audio clip of BP when you asked him to do the intro and he just started... Ah! (laughs) (laughs) You mean the outro? Yes, thank you. I'm sorry. You really really had to undercut my bit there. Thank you. But anyway, I also wanted to say that uh, looking back to my recording, I'd like to draw attention... To what Kay said, wherein he was hopeful that Servilia would develop a stable mother-daughter relationship for Octavia because that's not something she has, and uh, we'll that see. is somehow one of the least insane things that happened in this episode. So, yep. jumping guns a little bit here, fellas. I like. I think we're all to a degree psychologically uh, damaged from this episode, but I, let's... I can't believe they did it. I was like, are they going to do it? <laughs> Are they going to do this right now in this episode? And they did it. <laughs> Guys, oh my god. It's, there's, oh, okay. Let's just all, get through All it. I'll say before we start is I've come to the conclusion this is just a good show. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh. I, I'm glad that your first TV show, Jacob, was a good one. Yeah. All right. BP, you are lead. Season 1, Episode 7, HBO's Rome, Farcelous, What Occurs. Yeah, I want to start by saying up front that I actually think this is my favorite episode of the season now so far. Very strong Uh, contender. I Yeah, I really liked this episode. I was very engaged the whole time, but let us start with with the opening. We open up on a very close-up to the shore of a beach. As you remember from last week's episode, the uh, ship that Brinus and Polo and many other members of the 13th were on went into a storm and crashed, essentially. Only Brinus and Polo are the ones that are surviving this group specifically. We learn later on as we go to Caesar's camp that Mark Antony did survive as well, as well as a small group. But many of the other members of the 13th are lost at sea. So what we see at the beginning of this episode, washed up on the beach, is just a very small group of dead bodies, along with Renus and Polo. And we learn that Mark Antony only has a small group. I want to say a couple of things. Firstly, uh, holy plot contrivances, Batman. I, I can't say. believe those two are the only ones that survived. <laughs> plot armor also, is strong. I am not super clear on whether... Uh, Anthony so much as like was one of the other survivors or just was uninvolved in that entirely. I kind of got the vibe that he like left her. I I could be totally wrong. And he was just also super lucky. He, I believe the newscaster does say in the next scene that Anthony had no involvement with this. 
I, I really just think like Anthony got off scot free. His ship made it through fine and simple, whereas yeah. most of the thirteenth apparently oh, okay. died at sea. Apparently, and then Antony's with Caesar discussing their dire strategic position. Things have not improved with Antony's ruined army arriving with Caesar. They are not chipper. Yes. Yeah, the extra twelve people that made it aren't really enough to bolster. <laughs> yeah. Caesar talks about how Pompey's army is larger than Caesar's by three to one. And Caesar discusses a plan to attack with Antony and accept, they both accept that this is probably that the last fight that they will have. Then Caesar demands a shave. And he also has a pretty good quote in here saying, make sure there is no bloodshed this time. Pompey's camp is thinking about the war, it being anything but over. And Pompey thinks that Caesar soldiers will desert with starvation, starvation and weariness, but Cato wants a much more decisive victory along with the rest of Pompey's camp, and he, he pressures Pompey, Pompey, excuse me, to attack. I feel so bad for Pompey because, like, I, I feel like this is like maybe the second time this has been demonstrated where like his ideas are actually sound, and we see why he is revered as a great leader. But like the people surrounding him are just like giving him the worst advice ever. Like he, like, yeah, it'd be no problem. He could easily starve out Caesar's forces, but everyone's like, uh, yeah, but, or you could do the really cool thing and just kill them all. What, like Pompey's allies are very much motivated by politics and idealism where Pompey represents pragmatic military victory, which is uh, Caesar's forces deserting him because Cato wants the glorious crushing of the rebel mm -hmm. of the tyrant in Rome. And Cicero says, well, Cato's idea does look good politically. And uh, Scipio is saying uh, we got to crush Caesar like he's an insect. So, uh, yes, uh, a lot of forces pulling Pompey to a conflict that he doesn't want once it also kind of makes me question we talked about this in the last episode where a lot of times on screen Pompey is shown very much as a buffoon but I'm kind of questioning if the advice that Pompey has just been given throughout this entire war has just made him more bumbling than we are led on to believe valid point uh, our favorite newscaster gives word about the shipwreck, but Atia, who is passing by, is very upset because she has learned that Mark Antony is still alive and well, and this obviously is not sitting well with her given what happened last week. Uh, Atia sends Octavia to Servilia for more guards as she does not feel safe in her household Octavia doesn't really want to go at first, but she ends up agreeing because she doesn't really want to be this pack mule, so to speak, for Atia by going over, delivering messages, and then coming back with the answers. I think a, I think an owl would be a more apt metaphor, possibly. <laughs> Probably. It really like became apparent to me in this episode that uh, anytime Atia wants Octavia to do something she goes tell her but she's like I'm gonna complain about you to your face for about five minutes before I tell you why I'm here <laughs> it's very frustrating I, I don't like that woman I hope that Octavia kills Atia that was just my thought after that scene I was like just do it because originally I wrote down I was like oh Octavia finally showing some spine and then I was like actually Octavia has shown spine in every single interaction with Atia and it's just like just kill her 
that, that mm-hmm. you help us all out so much. Ten minutes in, in theory crafting. Goodness gracious, <laughs> I'm so baffled. Okay, not that you're not entitled to an opinion, but that Atia was in your top three last week. But okay. anyway. <laughs> Hey, I can defend that as someone who doesn't like Atia. That is an effective character. I agree I, with that. She's a fair, she's a well-written fair. character. I just dislike her, which I believe is the intent. Fair enough. Going over to a oh, the only scene with Niobe in this episode, but Niobe is in her home doing some stuff. When Lydy arrives, it's very clear that obviously some time has passed. But much to the surprise of Niobe, Niobe wants to give Lydie a hug and embrace, but Lydie refuses. Niobe offers Lydie money, but it is not what she wants. Then Niobe shares that she does not know Varinus's fate from the boat crash. And Lydie wants to reconcile with Niobe because she is probably thinking, well, my husband's dead. Your husband's probably dead. And so we need to be sisters again. And Niobe and Lighty hug. And Niobe offers some honey water. I just wanted to put that in there because that was a very specific type of drink that was offered. I, I wanted to point out, BP, that uh, Lighty does explicitly say, though, she's, like, tired of being angry, among other things. Yeah. And yes. That's, you know, Niobe is the only family she's got. So It's a yeah. very sweet yes. moment. And then we're back to Castaway. Back on the beach, Varinus is writing a note to Niobe on the rock, but we don't find out that's what he's doing until a little bit later. Polo is trying to fish from the, what's it called? Shore. The shore. Yeah. The that's, Jersey shore. Yes. The shore. And I guess the situation, Polo. Varinus <laughs> <laughs> says that Polo is wasting his time because they are more likely to die of thirst than of hunger. And Polo suggests that they drink the blood of the deceased. Gotta say, that's a that is one of the dumbest things I've heard Polo say in the show thus far. I like Varinus's response right after this. Varinus just says that the blood would be too salty, and that's why you shouldn't drink it. And putrid by now. Yes. Which that would have been my first point. None, nonetheless, though, Polo's pretty confident everything's gonna be okay. Varinus pretty confident they're gonna die. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Verena shares that he is writing a note on Naomi on a rock, and Polo asks if Verena's can write a note to Irina, and Verena sa- just says in response that there's any room left. Cut to Octavia, getting ready to head to Servilia's. Upon arrival, Octavia makes a request, and Servilia accepts for more guards at the house, and Servilia sends for those guards. Octavia starts crying after some brief conversation moment with Servilia because Servilia has been very kind to her and feels that kindness is just something that she is missing in her life. At first you think that this is setting up a mother-daughter relationship between Servilia and Octavia, but as Octavia gets ready to leave, Servilia asks her to stay for a little bit longer and it kind of leans a little more to sexual tension between the two characters and after a brief conversation they do hug okay i well i i i'm ah i in this moment didn't feel any sexual tension like they uh octavia goes to leave and like they have this really powerful hug and i was like wow octavia's like you you can see how visually moved she is like her eyes are like 
wide open and like you see your hands come up to like uh Servilia's shoulders I was like wow Octavia is like feeling parental love for the first time in her <laughs> life and uh that was my takeaway from this scene in the moment and I it was very sweet yeah Jacob I, yeah. like um I I wanted to point out one that Octavia crying she says that she says very specifically her like Servilia is being kind to her and her family and her and her family does not deserve this kindness at all it's not that she hasn't experienced it it's uh the Julii have gone out of their way to screw screw over Servilia and uh number two you know Jacob like thinking it's like you know uh motherly affection and stuff like that me having watched the show before um and watching last week of like the first uh interaction between Servilia and Octavia you know looking back with the hindsight you could kind of cut it both ways. It is like uh, there is a spot where Servilia, you could almost say, gets kind of close to Octavia's personal space last episode, and now with this embrace, it, it if you had if you have prior knowledge, I think it could cut either way. It is a maternal affection, or it could be, uh, yeah, the more sexual tension that BP had noted. Yes, I'm a little confused because of a, a scene that happens after this, where Octavia has to go back to Servilia, and that. Things are awkward between them, and like they're acting as if Servilia did something improper in this scene, which I wasn't super clear on. Like, I wasn't sure if I just like missed something or it was like just the hug itself was what was weird. Well, Cole, you might be forgetting an in between there. That's just Octavia. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I didn't forget that, but uh, Servilia was also like acting like she like apologized because she was like acting as if she, she had done something weird. Oh, okay. So that's what confused me. Like, they both seem to be on the same page of, like, something about this was weird, and it didn't feel like it It was the hug, but I didn't see anything else happening. Fair enough. Pompey agrees to attack Caesar and plans to attack him today. The day that they are on, he plans to attack them. Not the day we are recording this episode. Uh, Caesar plans... Yeah, we, missed, we missed that one by a little bit. A little peek behind the curtain in DOTRR Productions. <laughs> We are, uh, this podcast is taking place in 2022 while uh, this battle was uh, BC. Were we still BC? Yes. yes. Yeah. Jinx. Death of the Roman Republic is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Unless we go to their graves. I guess dead. Pompey agrees to fight. Caesar plans to fight. But Pasco is very hesitant about this. And while anyone noticed, it's not, I wouldn't necessarily call it, I, I guess it is an Easter egg. The skull that ha shows up at the very oh, beginning yeah, yeah. of the show is seen while Caesar is getting ready as this little canvas. One, uh, yes, I did see that skull. I thought that was cool. I did. Second, uh, we have hit my uh, my funniest moment of the episode, I believe, <gasps> where in a, it's that the really like tense scene of Pompey talking about how like yeah like this is it the final battle between Caesar and I to decide the fate of Rome. Like, this will be legendary. And it cuts to Caesar just asleep. Like, I, like, <laughs> it just shows, like, not serious. Caesar's taking this because Pompey's like, yeah, this is the moment, like, to face my rival. And then his rival's just passed out, not paying any attention. I, uh, I think I have a funny moment that I enjoyed as well here. Um, I don't have, I didn't have my, my most favorite funny uh, moment this episode, so I have two smaller ones. I think this happened here in the Caesar scene um, where they're talking about their position and like, you know, um, I think they're, are, is this the scene where they're staring at the map? The, I don't think so. Yeah. Oh. I kind of lean no. Okay. Then I'll never mind. Forget the last 45 seconds of me talking. And we'll get there eventually. Uh, this part kind of like didn't necessarily 
get confusing. I just needed clarification on it. When getting ready, is it Caesar that cuts his hand with the knife or is it Pompey? Because I know Pompey cut has his hand cut later. No, Caesar purposely cuts okay. his hand while he's praying and they're getting armored up like dual Theodens. That's what I thought it was, but I remember seeing Pompey's injury later and I was confused for like for a while in this episode. Anyways, the battle ensues with a very kind of montage thing. And I think this editing actually really works for this episode, given the context of what they were going for. I thought this was very well executed in terms of battle. I am actually surprised that you said that because uh, I specifically <laughs> had in my notes that uh, BP is going to hate this, that usually BP hates the fight scenes and I, I don't pay as much attention to it. This one, I was like, I don't like this one. I just felt very choppy and weird when it was like, yeah, this is the big battle between Caesar and Pompey's men. It's just those weird, like, slow cuts for about 30 seconds, and it's just returning. The battle's over, I guess. It's like, oh. I liked it. Um, and it made it very clear to me that this, like, this sh- show is not about action, and it's not trying to be about action, and it's, it's, just, it's just all politics and drama. And so I, I thought it was wise for itself to steer its ship that way. Well, like the first, Fair enough. It's like the first four seasons of Game of Thrones. Uh, Caesar. Uh, what? Ah, I for, I forgot my joke that I was gonna make at the top of the episode. You just reminded me I was gonna say. Let's what Game of Thrones <laughs> reference will BP make this episode? <laughs> Caesar has won the battle, and okay, wait, that- I have to stop you. I'm so sorry. This is so chaotic, but I definitely missed the funny moment at some point in there where they're looking at the map, and I have to mention the funny moment, <laughs> so I'm terribly sorry. This is chaotic, and it's partly my fault. They're they're looking at the map, and Pasca's like, um, you know, the, the, the map doesn't change. It doesn't draw itself, blah, blah, blah. I think Caesar says something. I can't remember the whole context of it, but Pasca says, I was not aware irony had a military advantage or military usage. And I just thought that was a fun line from Pasca. So Pasca's got the quips. He does. Sorry, BP. Uh, go ahead. You're good. This is my funniest moment in the episode. Caesar just right after battle. It he treats it just like a normal day in life. He just goes to sleep immediately after he's Wait, just like okay. I disagree. I'm interjecting again. I I read this entirely differently. I was like, Caesar looks exhausted. Like that looks like it literally took everything it had out of him. I do think that that could be a case. I just found it so humorous that he's like, all right, send a message that we won. And then just goes to sleep while everyone else is out celebrating. And he's just like, I'm done. I'm the guy that leaves the party early sort of thing. Irish goodbye type of thing. Yeah. I also do agree that that could also be what it is. Uh, We see that Pompey is leaning up against a tree defeated and he is injured. His hand was cut in a tent. Cato is suggesting that they go to Africa and Cicero thinks that it would be better if he surrendered himself to Caesar. Many call him a coward for this. And I love this line here. He's, talking about how he isn't a coward and things like that and he just says i'm not afraid to die i'm tired and i want to go home oh my god no uh bp so like this is two of my like first of all my funniest line is um when cato says 
uh, uh, you know, we'll just go to Africa. Brita says, dear gods, we're fast running out of continents. Uh, and That's then great. like, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Cicero talking about how he's going to surrender to Caesar, uh, Cato, you know, he insults his dignity. Scipio says that Caesar's going to kill him, but Cicero doesn't care. He's tired. He wants to go home. And this reminded me of, I think you should leave the prank show sketch. It's, uh, when he's all dressed <laughs> up and all the makeup's like, I can't, I can't do this. He's on way too much. And he's like, I can't do it. I, I don't want to yeah. be around anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's just yeah this is just a, a question i i had for k to hopefully make this scene make a little more sense to me were like the was africa like well i know africa has several nations but like were they like under roman control or were they like what what was the relationship so there? yeah when the romans referred to africa they really only got to north parts of northern africa above the sahara desert um so just picture basically the African coastline in terms of uh, where they can go. It's like, yes, they got some bases there, but it's not very rich. It's not very populated. Okay, because I couldn't tell if uh, Cato saying, oh, yeah, we should go to Africa was like, oh, we have people there. Or he's like, let's just find people in Africa to fight for us. Which Yeah, no, they're not going to Cape Town or anything like that. Okay. Brutus is enraged, uh, claims that Pompey is running out of continents to hide on. As Kay had mentioned, Brutus says some things about Pompey, but as Pompey is walking in the tent, Brutus apologizes for his temper, but Pompey doesn't really seem too offended about it. Brutus also decides to retreat with Cicero. I talked about this in the very first episode that I think Brutus is a very conflicted character, and I think this is just one of those showcases that he doesn't know which side to really pick in this fight. Pompey discusses with Scipio and Cato. Uh, Pompey suggests going to Egypt, while Scipio and Cato suggest Africa, but all three decide they do not want to travel together anymore. They all leave. Pompey uh, leaves posing as a traveling merchant. I just wanted to say that, uh, one, I felt Pompey handled the scene surprisingly gracefully, considering like where yeah. he's got to be at mentally. And also, like the gall of Cato and Scipio. Is it Scipio or Scipio? I'm not clear. Either either is fine, honestly. Okay. Like, it's just pronunciation. Okay. With the those two saying, like, oh, I don't think we should travel together, Pompey. Like, it's very clear that they're just entirely jumping ship from Pompey, but they're yeah. acting as if that's not the most obvious ploy in the world. <laughs> yeah. It's like, do you guys think you're subtle, or is this, like, you have to put on airs for the sake of Nobody, because literally no one else is here. Like it, it was weird. Yeah, I do agree with you, Cole. That Pompey does take this quite well. I think he probably is internally hurt by it, but I think because he has been in politics so long enough that he knows the game and act knows how to act when politicians want to go their separate ways. Cut to Varinus and Polo having a discussion about death and the afterlife. Polo talks about seeing his mom again, but in the afterlife, but is afraid she won't remember him because she died when he was very young. Varinus oh. sees a corpse laying out on the shore, kind of floating about, nothing, the body isn't sinking, and Varinus gets this idea with that one body. They turn, they take all the bodies that are on this island and they create a raft out of these boats because they realize that the bodies will not sink 
if they use if they do use them as a raft and they do escape the island. My second half of my funny part of the episode was here where uh, Polo and Brinus are uh, sitting in their woes and Polo says, I was not meant to die this way. Oh, yeah. And then <laughs> Brinus says, you were misinformed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so good. And also, I love this raft. Like, I have to, like, commend the prop of the raft because, like, it really up close looks like a bunch of dead bodies floating in the water and they look very lifelike this it's is cool. uh i didn't realize it but this is uh, an homage to the watchman comics because in the comics there's like this comic within the comic that people read called the black freighter and uh this uh dude he gets back to his home island by uh pulling together a lot of corpses i didn't realize that in my first watch huh. fun fact uh for the show uh they actually just killed like 18 actors and sure uh, stitched the and like tied their corpses together so that it, it looks real because it is real when in rome <laughs> now this scene i kind of get a little fuzzy on so correct me on any mistakes i make here but pompey is eating dinner with his family as they are traveling and in a kit and they're in a cave in it but it is discovered that a lot of his men have deserted him Pompey uh, comes face to face with one of his slaves named Lissandros. Uh, as he does not desert, he has a very cool design on his face. I like that little bandaid or whatever that is on his nose. It looks it's a bandaid, yeah. Yeah, but it looks pretty cool. It makes him look pretty cool. He asks him to be loyal to Pompey, and he asks all he asks of Lissandros is that he refers to Pompey as Aeneas Mella, who is a traveling merchant. So frustrating that uh, as I said earlier, I feel like Pompey's failures are not his failures, but rather the people around him who uh, unsuccessfully advised him. And now all those people are like, oh, we don't think Pompey's a good leader. So <laughs> we're actually going to leave. But it's like it's like their fault almost. And it just makes me feel bad for Pompey. Yes. Like, he's more competent than uh, than these people even know. Yes. I want to say with Lysandros, I kind of had a different interpretation, though you might be correct. Was he asleep? I thought he was just like a, no, like I, a I, mercenary. This is, where, this is where the scene got confusing for me. I was like, I know Lysandros shows up. I don't remember exactly who he is. He's like implied to be a hired guide, basically. Okay, yeah. gotcha. That That's where the scene kind of got fuzzy for me. I was like, I know his men desert. I know he asked Lysandros for some loyalty, but I couldn't remember exactly Lysandros' position. I actually like thought the nose thing looked weird and I, I could be wrong and maybe I just wasn't looking at his face right. I assumed he had that on because his nose had gotten like sliced off and he just had that as like a cover or something. That's what I kind of assumed too. Weirdly. Yeah, that's yeah. Do you guys remember that like Polo's like, you know, his head injury from like the second episode? I can't believe that hasn't come up again. I, I wonder about it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think about there's it no... at least once an episode. I'm like, is he just like, is his brain just rotting because there's metal in his head and it's rusting? There's also... <laughs> no scar on his head or anything like that from that surgery and he has a buzzed head haircut so there you would at least see some form of red line or something like that there i i just want do rag polo back again like that was a fun half of an episode <laughs> mm -hmm. me too all right bp you picked a heck of a time to take a break uh what scene are we coming into well Octavia is pleasuring herself with some self-gratification 
And then God, the second part <laughs> 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 all. <laughs> Pause. Uh, I want to show you guys my note for this this scene. Uh, Oh, if sketch. you can read it, it's just whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and then we immediately get context, and I like I start questioning things. Or I'll let BP explain the scene before I continue that thought. Wait, context. She prays well, for Octavia. Then later is praying for what I thought was her praying for forgiveness from the gods for pleasuring herself. But it kind of, because as soon as Adia comes in, she's saying, what do you have to go- talk to the gods about? She says nothing. That's kind of making me question, oh, is she praying to the gods for forgiveness? And then Atia shares that Servilia wants to weave there we go. with Octavia. We're here. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because because Octavia's like, no, I, 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 I shouldn't go. And I'm like, wait, wait. Does Octavia have feelings for Servilia? Uh, <laughs> this is the moment I was like, no way. There's no way. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. The Roman gods were pretty hedonistic. I don't know if they would care much about the self-pleasure thing. They'd probably be like, yeah, it's fine. We're gods. We do that every 15 seconds. Fair. I, that's why I possibly wanted to also open that up for discussion, what you think she is praying about and I don't think it was that, but also like part of me kind of questions that it was because when she said when Adia asked what he had to pray to the gods about, she sounds so nervous, like nothing. I just kind of thought maybe it was guidance. You know, that's a it's mm-hmm. a potential tricky situation she is about to navigate, and so um, you know, a push in the right direction would be appreciated. Please, oh lord. Yes, uh, Varinus and Polo coincidentally wash up to the shore nearby that uh, Pompey Magnus himself is also nearby. Pompey thinks about doing something with them, but then decides to let them go, claiming he doesn't have the time to deal with them, and he sets up camp. He gives them water and bread, and Polo recognizes him, which actually kind of shows a little, not necessarily a datedness of the show, but how much time has progressed with things like technology. Because back in that time frame, if you see somebody once, you don't see somebody for five years or something like that. I know that's not the craziest time jump with Rome, but this is a few see... years before Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, a, a little bit. Yeah. Here it's just kind of like if you don't see somebody for a few years, you're not going to recognize them if they look extremely different or if they, if you know them, but you can't put their, your finger on it. Cole. I what I Oh you look like you wanted to say something. Anyways, uh Octavia arrives. Sorry, I wanted to say something. This Italian, this uh Lysandros, sketchy. I'm getting bad vibes. I'm getting some icky, sticky, yucky vibes. Jacob, that reminds me, like um the subtitles say that Lysandros speaks in Italian, but like I swear Lysandros is like a Greek name and like they're in Greece. I I'm I don't know. That seems odd to me. That's I don't know if the production went with that choice, why didn't make him speak Greek? Whatever, whatever. Yeah. Now we get to the scene. Uh, Octavia arrives, or one of the scenes. I wouldn't call it the scene. It's one of the scenes. Hey, for me, it's the scene. We'll talk about it. (laughs) Octavia arrives. After some conversation with Servilia, they're just chatting. They learn that 
the news about the battle between Pompey and Caesar and that Caesar has won. Servilia asks, of course, the status of Brutus. They did not hear any news on the status of Brutus whatsoever. Servilia now assumes that Brutus has died in battle because they have not heard anything. This results in Servilia crying and Octavia kisses her after comforting her. I was sad to see that the gods are very powerful, but Servilia cursing people based on our ancestors does nothing because Caesar wins the war despite being cursed. So that stinks. And it also uh, develops feelings for Octavia. What, what <laughs> as a- we can see, because she prays for about Adia for Octavian and Octavia's deaths. And now she's probably very much yeah. regretting that she's praying that curse. <laughs> I... And to say, I don't know, to simplify this scene to just being like, oh, Atia starts crying and then Octavia kisses her somehow feels like just like an oversimplification when I guess in reality is kind of what happens. Like I have to chime in, Jacob. You said Atia kisses Octavia. Servilia. <laughs> I mean, I knew I know who he meant. My bad. My bad. I know, but I just want to get that <laughs> throw it's, make sure because <laughs> like supple. Yes. Because at first it's just like Octavia is like consoling her, like, yeah. you know, holding her. And then I, I don't know. I'll talk more about this scene when we get to my favorite moment, but go ahead and continue on. If you um, I guys, I need a minute here. So this is uh, what I'm what I'm about to do might be the one of the most vulnerable things I've ever done in my life. Now, I have written and performed um, three parody songs in my life. And I'm going to do a live premiere, uh, no recording beforehand, no prep, um, the fourth. <laughs> and after this, I will be able to make an EP, I guess, or, or something like that. Uh, I'm going so... to mute myself because I'm going to scream. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Everyone mute. Everyone mute. Except this for is... I'm, I'm going to try my best here. <clears throat> Brutus's mom has got it going on. Brutus's mom has got it going on. Adia told me to come over for some weaving. <laughs> we can lounge in the living room, do some dishing. <laughs> Did your son get back from his business trip? <laughs> Oh, we might be dead. Let me give you a little kiss, little kiss. You know I'm not the little girl that I used to be. I'm all grown up now, Sevilla, can't you see? Brutus's mom has got it going on. She's all I want and I've waited for so long. Adia, can't you see? You're just not the mom for me. I know it might be wrong, but I'm in love with Brutus's mom. All right. And that was beautiful. 10 out of 10. Uh, what do they, do they give uh, Oscars to podcasts? Because we just we just got our nomination, baby. Yeah, <laughs> guys, I know like I know that like uh, I don't release these videos here, but uh, just uh, man, I'm gonna hold on to those. <laughs> I wish I had a lighter. This is most definitely gonna get us the Grammy. Uh, Brutus and Cicero are have arrived at Caesar's camp and they surrender. However, they 
get quite a different reaction from Julius Caesar. Caesar is much more welcoming to uh, Brutus and Cicero. And he's actually welcoming welcoming them to the army. And Caesar asks about Pompey. He learns about his plans, but then decides, you know what? I'm going to invite you two to my military dinner. And when they walk in, it is so silent. Mark Antony is just rallying the troops by just telling him the stories. The conversations are really loud. Those two walk in behind Caesar is just dead silent. It's so awkward. But then as they sit down, things kind of go a little bit more back to normal and the silence gets broken. I love this moment. This moment, like, shot Caesar up my favorite character list. He's like Mm -hmm. three or four now. Like, it's... Humanizing is not the word I want to use because we've seen Caesar as a human, kind of. But uh, we definitely... It shows the graciousness to him, maybe? And yeah, and more like the the personal side of it, his like life almost, because yeah. this this war is all political and it's all business. Like he's just trying to get what he feels like he deserves. And but like all these people he's worked with and lived with in Rome, and like they are his his compatriots, and he does feel fondly towards them. It's so yeah, he's so excited to see Cicero, and he's excited to see that Brutus is still alive, and he he hopes and prays that uh that Pompey is still alive, and he calls him a fool for not considering surrender. And it is also at this point where I'm like, oh no. Oh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be sad soon. And I don't know if it's <laughs> happening this episode or it's happening another episode because of the history that I happen to know. Um, but it, anyway, beside that point, uh, it's just it's a good scene for Caesar. He's just good to see him so happy and cheerful. That was an interpretation I hadn't really considered. I like that. I was thinking more it was like a Caesar still playing the political game where he's like, I, I need to make sure these two are like back on my side. So I'm going to like just like forgive them, be super cool and friendly. That way, like, you know, anything comes up in the future, they're going to remember, hey, we turned on Caesar and then he just took us back like because because he cares about us so much. I could see like a combination of both at the very least. I also know this not relating to Julius Caesar or Cicero or Brutus. This scene kind of gave me the reminder there's not a lot of mark antony in this episode we've kind of gotten a lot of him the last few episodes and this is the first one in a while where he's kind of taken a little bit of a backseat to the story but pompey is telling a story to his kids at a campfire it's pompey being a dad moment it's also very important though bp because it's the story is how he how he became friends with Ptolemy, the king of egypt and why he's so confident egypt's gonna win or yes. it's a winning bet to go to. Yes. Uh, Lysandros is at another area of this camping area with Varinus and Polo and is having a conversation with them. Polo is very suspicious. He believes he knows who he is. And through some conversation, Lysandros gives an offer to Varinus and Polo. If they killed Pompey, Lysandros would keep the slaves and Varinus and Polo would get to keep Cornelia and the children. And Varinus is not having it. He does not believe this is the right move in the slightest. Varinus gives 
in my opinion, one of Verena's best moments just as a character. He gives Lissandros a couple of options. When I'm done speaking, you can either run away and not come back, or I, you stay and I will kill you. And Verena stands up, turns around for a second. Lissandros gets ready to stab Verena's, but Verena's catches it, stabs Lissandros, and I couldn't remember if it was the throat or the mouth, but it was a cool shot nonetheless. Throat. throat. He stabs him in the throat, and Verena's has killed Lissandros. My boy Verena's once again sticking to his moral code. Mm-hmm. I love this man. I would die for this man. One of my- <laughs> yeah. It's also this- a great moment for him, though, because like I feel like before we see a Verena's who is like, he's just kind of hesitant to do things like this dramatic and like killing is like essentially against his kind of ethical code we've seen. Like we've seen him refuse to kill someone just in the previous episode. Or was that the episode before last? It might've been the episode before last. And, and it's, it's very rewarding to see like when the stakes are this, Verenus is taking no BS and he, he just does it. And I, I, I wrote down in my notes, let's effing go. So, cool. Yes. Okay, you got any thoughts on this scene? Not not so much. You know, Lissandros, like, he's given the opportunity to walk away, and he just gets mad. He's like, oh, you, you two think that you can take all these men uh, on your own, too? Okay. And, uh, yeah, he gets uh, um, nearly decapitated for uh, trying to stand up to Lucius Varinus, the first spear of the 13th. Rightly so. Yes. Yes. Pompey comes in to talk to them to figure out what was going on. Varinus shares with Pompey. Pompey doesn't know that they know yet who he is, but Varinus shares that Lissandros was planning to turn on Pompey and Varinus starts confronting Polo a little bit because we see that Varinus and Polo know who he is and Pompey is still trying to convince them that that's not who he is. But then Pompey put, pulls Varinus aside and basically secretly admits who he is. And I think that this was a moment that I think he... Pompey did the smart thing by just telling Varinus who he was because he never, I don't think, as far as I'm aware of, I don't think he ever explicitly says it, but he basically drops the biggest hint that he is Pompey Magnus. And I like this conversation they have because Varinus is asking Pompey how they got here. And even though we don't really see the battle, it is very interesting to hear the conversation about what happened in battle and how he got on this trail as Pompey is drawing it out and explaining it and trying to visualize it for Varinus. Pompey did uh, admit to who he was, albeit I feel unintentionally, because while he was telling the story, he transitioned like midway through from saying Pompey is forced to like saying like to my for like he like was speaking in the like the first person. Yeah, I felt like it was intentional. He was just like Polo obviously knew Varinus obviously knew like there was no point in keeping up the facade and so it was just like, I don't know. Yes. Futility. I do like this moment for Pompey when it comes up. I like this moment because Pompey essentially asks Varinus for mercy, not for himself, but for his family to be allowed for freedom. 
after this is all over and he is tearfully pleading to him. And Varinus is feeling sympathetic towards Pompey. He agrees to let him, if Pompey doesn't live, he will find a way to make sure that his wife and children are free and safe. And I like this moment, both for Pompey and for Varinus, because Pompey knows that something is going to, I don't think he knows exactly what's going to happen to him soon, but he knows something's going to, he knows something could happen to him. But I also see this as a moment for Varinus where even though he just killed Lissandros, he still understands that sympathy and he empathizes a lot with Pompey, regard, especially regarding family, because Varinus has been without his family for so long. And hmm. Varinus understands completely that he que- he questions a lot if Niobe and his kids are in trouble. And I think he doesn't want Pompey to have that same worry. Jacob. If I can, I would suggest a different word even to empathize or sympathize, but I feel like Varinus pities Pompey almost because yes. this, this is one of the many powerful scenes in this episode wherein, uh, you know, Varinus is having this conversation with Pompey describing the battle that he lost. And uh, I, I don't know, Varinus has n- not a twinkle because that suggests some kind of happiness or excitement, but he has this look in his eyes. Varinus has got very evocative eyes. I was talking about his eyes last episode too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And his boat. I was, yeah. Uh, but like Pompey is this man that, essentially is the figurehead of like Varinus's beliefs and morals, right? He's a strong believer in the Republic and tra- tra- the traditions of, of Rome and, and Pompey is at the head of it, despite the fact that Varinus ended up in the opposing military. Um, yeah. And to see this man who like represents everything about Varinus and who Varinus admires to see him broken and defeated, you can, you can see how like troubling and how like, uh, affecting it is to Varinus, and which is I, I think uh, like most of the reason he decides like we can't we can't like take them as prisoners we can't kill them we just have to let them go like this was once a great man of Rome and look at him now and uh, it's 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 good it's good stuff well said mm-hmm. Jacob yeah mm-hmm. and you too earlier BP I think yeah I think pittiness is the better word then we cut it's not a very long scene but it is. The final implication of it, Octavia and Servilia had sex. And we don't really, we don't, that's, it's quite literally, I believe, no longer than 10 seconds. All we do is just see them laying next to each other in bed. That's all we see. Polo and Varinus are leaving Pompey behind, and they have some horses that Pompey gave to them. And Polo is very critical towards Renus, saying that he should have killed Pompey. And we will learn that Polo is not the only one that is being critical towards Varinus not killing Pompey because they arrive at Caesar's camp. And we learned that 12 other people did survive the shipwreck that we talked about at the beginning. They share the whereabouts of Pompey and what the plans are that he's going to Egypt. And Caesar is not happy with Varinus in the slightest for not apprehending. I believe that's the word he uses for not apprehending Pompey and says, this could have been over had you just killed him. And Varinus stands by him by his honor saying this wouldn't have been the right thing to do. He let us go and he's telling us his whereabouts. I think it'd be good if we followed him. 
and things like that. And Caesar is reluctant, but he agrees to go to Egypt because of that. And something I really like about the scene is Caesar talks about him being super merciful or how he, and they're about being merciful. And after he dismisses Verenus and Polo, it kind of becomes a little bit more of a conversation about his mercifulness between him and Mark Antony about why he's being so kind or not kind too leaning lenient for Verenus and Polo. And he says that because of retrieving the stolen Eagle, rescuing his great nephew, a bunch of other things that he gave Caesar believes that Verenus and Polo are being protected by very powerful gods. And he is not going to kill men with what he believes to be such powerful friends. This is a moment for Caesar. Where I'm just kind of like, dang, he got a point. Yeah, I mean, it's just like we we have uh, hit it the or we've hit or we've we've beaten the dead horse to say that Caesar is very logical and very cunning and like wow, this guy knows how to plan a battle and war and uh, propaganda, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, this moment, I'm like, he took it to a whole new level. Julius Caesar is playing 4D chess with gods, and <laughs> this guy's this guy's thinking on every level. I know we're not going to but i i just hope we get a, a scene in a future episode of uh octavia and caesar sitting next to each other and one of them's just like so Sevilla, huh oh, oh <laughs> they have a chat about that um bp what you were saying about uh caesar being angry and screaming at verenus i um in which uh you guys were saying earlier about how delighted and elated caesar was to see brutus and cicero again i really think that this episode we see the two biggest extremes of caesar's emotions we have like he is so excited that brutus and cicero are alive and he's like is poppy okay is poppy alive is he coming here too is he okay and he's like uh like to the outside he is uh he wants all of them to be alive and be well and they can all be friends again and then in this scene in this tent he is the angriest he's ever been. He is objectively screaming at Verenus that Pompey mm. is dangerous if he is alive in any way, and he is going to swiftly dispatch the Egypt to eliminate mm. him. The uh, idea of him is something for their enemies to, uh, you know, revolve around. And yeah, good. and and Caesar makes it very clear he is the only one that grants mercy, like mercy and clemency, and uh, welcoming back anyone with open arms. It's not because he actually likes them; it's a political tool to make sure he doesn't look like a tyrant. And he can't abjectly look like he wants Pompey dead, but if one of his men quietly assassinated him when he had the perfect opportunity, then that would have just been perfect for Caesar. And he's so upset that it didn't go through like that. I, yes, I do agree with that. Uh, Pompey and his family have arrived in Egypt. All seems to be going well. Uh, Lucius Septimius? Septimius? Septimius. Septimius. Septimius greets him. He is a former military man. General? Question mark? Did he say general? Soldier, or, I think. Soldier. Yeah. Just a former soldier. From Spain. And all seems well, but Pompey's kind of like why are there not more people here welcoming me? And he just, they say, oh. It's the Egyptians. Yeah, that's what they say. Different culture. And they cross arms and Lucius pulls Pompey in, stabs him, and then lo and behold, beheads him right in front of his wife and kids. Pompey's wife is covering their eyes to make sure they don't see 
everything that happens, but it ends with Pompey's body just plummeting into the water, decapitated, and cut to black. I remember the credits did not start for a good solid 10 seconds. And usually they happen right after they start rising episode ends because they were very much like, yeah, we're ending here with this. Jacob, by the look on your face, like I can tell you watching this, you were like Walter White locked up in the car. Pompey, no! (laughs) Septimius is not on your side! No! (laughs) It's... uh... Is so, so this is the, the moment I was talking about earlier where like it, when I was referencing when Caesar was so happy to see everyone and uh, he's like, is Pompey OK? And I was like, oh, OK, are they going to do this this episode or are they going to do this in the future? Because how Pompey dies is he goes to Egypt and some people assassinate him as soon as he gets to shore. And I saw Pompey paddling the boat. And we're like, we have like two minutes left. I'm like, no, 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 this can't happen like this. And uh, I knew, I knew it was coming from a mile away and I still got very angry. <laughs> it was, uh... I, I guess Cole and I were very much correct la- two weeks ago. Cause we didn't, or was it last week? I remember, I can't remember when Kay asked us which we three characters we thought were going to die by the end of season one. Oh, that was like two days ago in production yeah. time. But, um... <laughs> but yeah, uh, I thought it would be a little bit later in the season. I thought it might have been episode eight or nine, but nope, it was episode seven. So now I'm curious to know what what's building up to Caesar's big moment. So guys, we've gotten to end credits and everything like that. I think, you know, just a little vibe check for how we thought about this episode. I think all of us seem pretty high on it. And I was I was pretty certain that uh, BP would not be a fan. And Cole, I thought, wouldn't be a fan either. But you guys seem to have enjoyed this decently, right? This is my favorite episode of the season so far. Yeah, it's up there for me. What, what gave you the impression that... I wouldn't like it. BP, I assumed, would just because the battle scene is why you assumed he would hate it. Well, I mean, you've always been a very strong advocate for Pompey Magnus representation, Cole, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that he never got a great shining military victory at all in the series, which uh, sort of parallels real life. Um, I, I, I thought you would have wanted him to come out on top decisively at least once, which is never really shown. Mm. I actually think I wouldn't have liked it. <laughs> Because you didn't harp on it week after week. Fair enough. Jacob, what were your thoughts? I enjoyed this episode a ton. That is so strong. And and what the the bits of this episode that I, I really enjoyed the most is there was so much great character moments for a lot of like kind of I don't want to say underdeveloped, but just like it, I don't know lesser shown. Yeah, lesser shown characters. Like uh, we've we've seen a fair deal from Octavia. But even before the whole thing with Servilia happens, I feel like there's like some really great stuff. And obviously it only evolves from there. And Brutus, especially too, I thought like his outbursts was was really good in camp. And like this is the the really the most human we've seen Caesar at all, I think. And I thought it, it was great for for Caesar as well. And just a lot of really, really great character moments. And uh and awesome, awesome plot points. And so it was great stuff. I also would like to say just like a, as a personal mark for me for how much I enjoyed this episode is that uh, Octavian is my favorite character. And he seemed to be a, a big hitter among uh, everyone here. 
He's not in this episode. He's at they Academy. They talk about him one time, where yeah. it's Servilia uh, asking how he is. Uh, other than that, no mention of him. But, like, it wasn't until after the episode that I was like, Octavian wasn't in it. Like, my favorite character wasn't in the episode, and I didn't realize until after the fact because of, like, how in I was with the rest of it. I didn't even think about it until you mentioned it. Lo and behold, don't have Octavian in there, and I don't know how I missed that. Well, it's kind of like a black hole. It's just not there at all, and then its absence is realized. Mm-hmm. All right, so ladies and gents, Cole and BP, what I have you guys discussing at the present is a few questions here. Pompey went to Egypt because he believed the former king's children would be loyal to him. A former Roman soldier assassinated him on Egypt's shore. Who do you think ordered this assassination of Pompey? Is it a character that we know or a character that we haven't met yet? Next up, with Caesar hot on Pompey's heels, how do you think he'll react to the information that Pompey is dead? And finally, this new relationship dynamic between Servilia and Octavia, is this genuine or is someone being taken advantage of here? So I was curious what you guys thought there. Jacob, what did you think of the history of this episode, my friend? I, I think it was all pretty good, I think. Um, obviously we have some pretty major plot points, the battle of Pharsalus, which I incorrectly remembered. I think I said Pompey wins, but, uh, very it obviously it's Caesar a toy does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and of course the assassination of our good friend Pompey on Egyptian shores, that is precisely what happens along with the beheading and, uh, Caesar, I recall in history, is very upset to learn that Pompey was assassinated. So I I assume that's what we will see in the show next episode. All right. All um, right. but we will see. I, I am, you know, we'll wait. Um, I was I if this feels like one of those things that's impossible to substantiate, but I was like curious about the Octavia Servilia relationship. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, again, the- like impossible to substantiate, like in a way it's impossible to prove that it didn't happen, but like mm-hmm. it's, I mean, this is basically made up for the show. Uh, and and I, I guess also like Octavia in the grand scheme of like the story of Rome isn't really all that important to my recollection, right? Like she, yeah. uh, like she has some problems with like marriage, right? And adultery or something in her adult life. And like, she gets like sent out of Rome or something by Julius Caesar, I think. I Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. I, I, I think you are. are. I think you are there. Okay, but adultery mind. does play a theme in her life, Jacob. You're correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was just going to say here um, some general history points. The Servilia Octavia thing is pretty inventive. But otherwise, you know, we get through a lot of hits here. Caesar offering clemency to those who surrendered to him. Um, mm-hmm. There was uh, some slight differences in real history. Like in this episode, Brutus and Cicero go together to surrender to Caesar. Um, in real life, Brutus was captured by Caesar's forces at Pharsalus, but peacefully surrendered and everything, got back on mm-hmm. his good side. Cicero, after Pharsalus, went back to Italy. He didn't keep fighting, and he would formally mm-hmm. surrender to Caesar within Italy a while later. So, I don't know, show makes that up a little bit. Uh, I thought this was cool, even though we really didn't see any of the battle of pharsalus pompey's recounting of it was 100 percent correct yeah Caesar had like that, that surprise legion um that uh surprised pompey's cavalry routed them then outflanked pompey's forces and pompey didn't say it but like all of his forces were basically recruits and so them fighting caesar's veteran that's front right and flanked on the side that's why they crumbled so hard there 
um, Pompey's allies not being a united front as well. That was a really good showcasing of true history that Pompey, not a master politician, being pulled in different directions and not getting to necessarily do what he thought was mm -hmm. strategically optimal, but politically viable. Um, and, and yeah, of course, Pompey's death was a mm -hmm. big one. Yeah. I, we did kind of get informed that a lot of Pompey's military was uh, recruits. But it was yeah. like episode two and like yeah, not reminded, yeah. were we? But yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, there was there was something else I had thought of that has escaped my my temporary train of thought. Um, hopefully it'll come back. Jacob, like um, I, I was going to ask as well, uh, do you think that this episode was superior to the last one? Because you said last episode that you thought that might be the peak of the series. I was high on it, man. I, I really enjoyed it. But uh this is this is good there's there's a lot of good stuff in here <laughs> um i'm gonna you know what i'm gonna do i'm going to wait to pass judgment on a okay. favorite episode until the end of the season okay that okay. way that's, i have that's the a good strategy. power of hindsight yeah. uh to inform me so yes still incredibly good yeah and i guess just one other point i had while it's just the two of us jacob i i legitimately think approximately a year ago I sent you um, a hypothetical uh, rap verse, one might say, and you told me that I could ghostwrite your album. And I know where ways out, Jacob, you have many goals and aspirations, but when the day comes, because I know it is on your bucket list that you want to produce a hip hop album, if you need me, I will be there and consider this my live audition. I mean, I mean, you, you've literally already written music for me for <laughs> something I've done. So like you've got the job. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Welcome back, gentlemen. Hope you had a good discussion. So guys, who do you think killed Pompey? Question one. Given what I know about Egyptian history in this time frame, I'm going to say Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Okay, a character we have not seen nor heard yet, but okay. BP taking a shot in the dark, possibly. Now, uh, BP and I were actually, we weren't on the same page. We were in the same chapter because I, I don't think it was Cleopatra. Mm. I think it was Ptolemy. Because I know, uh, I think it was oh. Ptolemy the 13th. I know it was past 10, but uh, one of the Ptolemies was running around as the Pharaoh of Egypt, and I'd, I'd, I think he might have had something to do with this. Okay, as in like, you know, uh, uh, Pompey's old friend? Uh, I'm not super clear. I don't remember if he said which Ptolemy it was, but either it would be that one or maybe his son, because I'm pretty sure uh, okay. in this like time period, Ptolemy, like the pharaoh, was pretty young. Okay, okay. Um, question two. Caesar was hot on Pompey's heels. How do you think he's going to react to the information that Pompey is dead? I think that he is not going to react well both personally and politically personally uh cole said it in our breakout sessions i'm gonna kind of steal a little bit of thunder with this part where they were friends even though they were they were friends like pompey married caesar's daughter but also caesar so caesar's gonna take that personally because even though they were fighting he still i still think he respected pompey even if he disliked him in some areas but i think politically he's gonna see this as a huge slight because he didn't have anything to do with this assassination. And as far as we know, uh, he didn't have anything to do with this assassination. So if I'm proven wrong that he know he planned it, then yeah, I'm, I'll be glad if I'm wrong that he orchestrated that assassination, but 
he's gonna. I think he's gonna be upset from the political standpoint that he was not the one to do it. And okay, yeah, okay. All right, Cole. How about you? I'm pretty much uh, in the same boat as BP. I believe that because Pompey said like in last episode, I believe, or no, I think it was the episode prior where that he's like, yeah, Caesar was like a son to me. And then, uh, so I believe that relationship to some extent had to be like reciprocated. So I bet Caesar is going to be like deeply saddened and like wishing that like he had like Pompey had surrendered because like he might not have killed him, but even if he did, he would have given him like honor as a true Roman. So he would have given Pompey like a death that like a man like Pompey would deserve. Okay. Okay. Um, and final question here, guys, Servilia and Octavia, is this relationship that is budding, is this genuine or is someone being taken advantage of? Uh, we both believe that uh, Servilia is playing Octavia. I okay. do think that this, this moment that like set it off with like, oh, Brutus might be dead and this like moment of vulnerability. I think there might have been like something real there and like a seeking of comfort. But like, I think this is overall just like a plan for uh servilia to just like ruin Addie's life by like like and totally like taking her daughter and like putting her like under her own sphere of influence okay i have nothing new to add with that jacob do you have any thoughts to that i hmm if anything i would say that they are taking advantage of each other okay like i don't because I don't know. I don't know if there is a, a a genuine interest between the two. They just have like these holes in their 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 lives and their hearts that like you know the, uh, some affection uh, in the moment helps to heal. But uh, who knows? Maybe maybe as more more things are illuminated, it will appear uh, more genuine. Although, but I, I don't think like it's a conscious, like taking advantage of, I feel like oh, okay. in those, in those moments that they share, it is like, they are both present and they are like, they're presenting their authentic self. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I see what you're saying, Jacob. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll get into our least favorites, if you got any, or favorite moments from the episode. So we didn't do a check of this before the show, uh, necessarily, but uh, who might have a least favorite thought to share? My least favorite moment, uh, it's actually, as you alluded to, me being a, a staunch Pompey supporter, my least favorite moment was Pompey's death. Uh, it wasn't like a, it was a bad scene, or I didn't like it, it was just it was sad and it was it was not what i wanted for the man i wanted to him to have like a have a w at some point i at least wanted him to have like a sit down conversation with caesar i think that would have been cool but I, I never got that so i was really sad when he died well said cole um unfortunately of all the least favorite moments i've heard from you guys so far i think this is the one just most baked into history that cannot be changed uh, yeah but uh all right uh this guy's actually is one where I will share a least favorite moment, my first time since our first episode, but my least favorite moment was Caesar not planning for the Battle of Pharsalus, and you guys know me, and you guys know how much I love a story where sheer force of will prevails against insurmountable odds, which is what Caesar does, 
but when Caesar learns that Pompey is arranging his troops to fight him, he gets off the couch, he uh, gets on his armor, and he wins. And in reality, and as described later in the show, uh, Caesar should have lost the Battle of Pharsalus if it wasn't for his smart surprise attack on Pompey's cavalry, and Pompey accurately describes that is how Caesar won the battle. But Caesar walking out of his general's tent didn't seem like he had that up his sleeve. It, it He just is like, uh, we our backs are to the wall, we have to fight on. And there's no like prep planning of this like ingenious uh, moving his infantry where they need to be to route Pompey. So overall, Caesar's victory to me seems unearned because we don't see it planned, which to me is most important, nor do we see it actually happening, which, you know, I could forgive more if it wasn't planned. But this is a moment where I know a lot of people don't like Rome uh, because of its lack of battle scenes uh, and stuff like that. Like, I wish we could have seen some planning happen for this big historical event and not just Caesar getting off the couch. But we'll transition, think- guys. Oh, go ahead, BP. Do you think that we don't see a lot of battles happen because of, like, budget constraints or anything no remember this thing had a huge budget i i mean yeah simultaneously bp like yes and no it had the the highest tv budget of any show in history in 2005 but also i mean getting i a lot of that went to set design and stuff like that because rome looks immaculate so hiring all those extras and armor it would really just add up the costs um but yeah we'll get into our favorite moments here guys cole i'll have you go first all right. My favorite moment was that conversation between Varinus and Pompey. It felt like a, a very human moment for Pompey and just like his uh, whole spiel about the battle. And then he's like, yeah, and that's like how the Republic died. And like, just like begging for his family's life. Like it felt like it was a very powerful scene. And it like, it like shot Pompey up as like one of my favorite characters. Just Cause it was like a very human, like charismatic, like well acting more. Like I was just, Everything about it I thought was great. I I particularly enjoyed that with Pompey and a lot of the other people in Pompey's camp. Just like how fully aware they are that like losing means that the Republic is dying. Mm-hmm. Like in my head, that's a very important and big thing because I listen to DOTRR and that's the theme of the whole thing is the Republic disappearing from existence in Roman society. And to, to, to see it represented this way where like they too are very aware of it and its potential um, demise is uh, – it's cool. I, I, I wanted to add on to your thoughts, Colt, because like uh, I, I totally agree with this. It, it really humanizes Pompey, but also Varinus, who lets Pompey hold on to a shred of honor and like talks to him in the disguised Aeneas persona. And he's like, how did Pompey Magnus lose this? Uh, and Pompey goes on to describe in the third person how he how he would have lost it. But also um, Pompey comes up to Varinus as a big fanboy at the start of their conversation. He's like, I, I've heard of your de- uh, Caesar's deeds at Elysia. Uh, were you there? And Varinus is like, yeah. Um, and then this is so good. Pompey starts to recall a fond memory he had with Caesar when Caesar was Varinus's age, but he can't quite grasp the memory. It slips through his fingers. And again, it just really reinforces this theme we've seen that Pompey the Great is past his prime, but nonetheless, Varinus uh, respects him and honors him to the best of his ability and lets him live. So well said, Cole and and Jacob there. Um, Jacob, what was your favorite scene? Uh, My favorite scene is the moment shared between Servilia and Octavia. 
just because I thought it was a master class of acting with uh, no words being uttered. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just this moment where Servilia is breaking down and Octavia is just there to comfort her and Octavia doesn't say anything. She's just like, you know, holding her and like places a hand on her face. And like, it's just, mm, it just, I guess the tension is the word. The tension is palpable. Like they just sit there and they're looking at each other and you see like the eyes darting and glancing at looking at one another. And like, uh, I don't know. I just like the acting is supreme because you can just through those glances and the looking, you can like surmise everything that they're thinking. They're like, is this happening? Should I do this? Uh, are they on the same page as me? Yeah. And you know, it just, it, we really sit in it. It's not like a quick thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh yeah. It, yeah. You're totally right, Jacob. It's like, it's over a minute long, just a single shot of them, like slowly drawing closer yeah. to one another. Yeah. And it, it's like, I mean, I don't know. I, maybe I just sound like a dude, but uh, it's, it's just, it's just so powerful and cool. Like this, uh, this long drawn out moment where we see these two women kiss and I, it's, it's very good. I it's totally beautiful. agree, Jacob. It's like it's not shot in an exploitative way or anything like that, mm-hmm. or an over-sexualized mm-hmm. way. It's, not at um, all. And, and even it's just like the the physical geography of them growing closer. It's like uh, Servilia comforted Octavia earlier by embracing her. Now Octavia tries to reciprocate. She rubs her back, rubs her arm, rubs her arm on the other side, uh, cradles her face. This goes on for a minute, and then as they start looking into each other's eyes and uh just eyes swimming with emotion and uncertainty mm-hmm. but then both committing to something it's a it's it it's a powerful scene you're totally correct mm-hmm. uh bp what was your favorite scene my favorite scene is involving polo and Varinus once again like last week last episode was my favorite moment is when they're on the island and they're talking about the afterlife because it r- brings s- Polo, there's a reason why Polo is my favorite character. It's just this moment for Polo because he says I, because he thinks he's going to die on this island from starvation and thirst and dehydrate and over heat exhaustion and things like that. But he's just saying, I want to, I can't wait to see my mom again. I don't know if she's going to remember me. Yeah. And it's just this sad moment for Polo because I think it's a, Varinus doesn't ever say anything, but I think Varinus is kind of in that Varinus, even though he kind of makes a comment towards him, he he does feel a little bad for Polo. And I feel, and I think we as an audience feel bad because he's just so, because Polo is just evolving as his character so much, excuse me, throughout the duration of the show. I, I, I see. Yeah. Uh, BP, I really like how you described that, actually. Uh, it made me consider that scene in a way I hadn't before and gave me a momentary revelation that maybe that that scene actually in of itself explains a lot of the reasons why Polo is Polo, yeah. right? We, but before this moment, we never knew that his mother passed away when he was very young. And, uh, you know, it, Polo's got mommy issues, I guess, but it's, yeah. I, I like that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got to say, um, I'm glad you chose this scene because I'd kind of forgotten about it with all like the, yeah. the big stuff that happened in like the, the rest of the episode, but that's like a, a very quiet, like, but powerful moment. So yeah, 
good excellent choice there's a there's a lot of really good scenes early on in this episode that i don't want to get over don't want to get overshadowed by what happens in the second half yeah, I'll go ahead and share mine, which was uh, Caesar warmly greeting Cicero and Brutus because I, I love mm. Cicero comes in all formal and proper. He salutes him. Uh, he hilariously tries to keep formally surrendering. But Caesar, like, he doesn't care. He's like, guys, I'm so happy you're back. Um, and he uh, Caesar most especially takes to Brutus, um, who Brutus said earlier, it's like, Caesar's like a father to me and uh, Brutus is like a son to him. And um, Caesar says, I forced you into an impossible situation and yeah. you did what you thought was honorable and all is forgiven. And then he goes on to ask about Pompey. He's ecstatic. He's still alive. He invites them all into the officer's tent, even though they were just combatants. And it shows Caesar's mercy and clemency for those he cares about. But it also, it, everything is second guessed when we see later that Pomp, or that Caesar wants Pompey uh, dead and buried. And it's like, how much, it, like, which is the real Caesar? You know, does who does he actually care for and to what degree does he actually care for them big shout out to kieran hines because he does such a who plays caesar he does such a good job playing all these personas with such ease it can be so easy for an actor to get so stuck with one persona of the character that the other ones kind of feel phoned in but i think kieran hines just brings his brings it his all with each personality trait with caesar that he just does such a good job with that. Very much so, very much so. All right, guys. So we are going to get into our quiz section right now, which we had skipped in our last recording. Right now, BP is in the lead with 23 points, followed by Jacob with 22.5 points, followed by Cole with 19 points. So BP, this will be your question to answer first. Uh, try your Ooh. best, guys. In the show, Cato and Scipio go to Africa after Pompey's defeat at Pharsalus and plan to keep up the fight. In real life, what did they do? Did they stay in Greece and keep up the fight? Did they go to Egypt with Pompey? Did they surrender to Caesar? Or did they actually go to Africa to keep up the fight? I'm going to guess a D. They went to, Af- so as shown in the show, they went to Africa to keep up the fight. Okay, Cole, how yes. about you? I was also thinking D. All right, and Jacob? I think that it's B. Thinking uh, they went to Egypt with Pompey. Okay. Uh, we will have some points for BP and Cole for that one. As shown in the show, uh, Scipio and Cato went on to Africa uh, to keep up the fight on Caesar. Question two coming. Cole, this will be yours to answer first. Pompey Magnus had a good relationship with the previous monarch of Egypt, Ptolemy, and assumes that he'll have a good one with his children. What is the genesis of Pompey and Ptolemy's relationship? Ptolemy bribed Pompey and other Romans for political support. Pompey and Ptolemy were allies in Pompey's Eastern conquests. Pompey was the Roman governor of Egypt chosen by Pompey, or Pompey gave land to Ptolemy and the Egyptians. There is a most correct answer here. Cole, what do you think that is? I'm going to say B. All right. Cole is guessing that Pompey and Ptolemy were allies in Pompey's Eastern conquests. BP, how about you? I was also going to guess B. All right. And Jacob, what about you? A. Uh, that Ptolemy bribed Pompey would be correct. Ptolemy mm-hmm. uh, spent mm-hmm. half of Egypt's GDP in a year or something like that, bribing uh, the first triumvirate to make him monarch. We will go ahead and move on to question three. This one I've got some graphics for, so brace yourself. Pompey Magnus marvels at the Battle of Elysia Varinus participated in. Besides what Pompey mentioned, what was significant about the Battle of Elysia? If you look at this graphic, the Romans fought between two walls and were attacked on both sides. 
Or were the Romans fighting war elephants at Elysia? Or did the Romans hold back the Gauls only through a geographic choke point? Or did the Romans have to break out of a pincer movement that they had walked into and enveloped themselves in? They were trapped on all sides. They had to break out. Why was the Battle of Elysia so impressive, so significant? BP, this will be yours to answer first. I'm going to guess C. They had to, uh, or they were fighting Gauls on a choke point. Okay. How about you, Cole? I'm leaning towards C as well. All right. And how about you, Jacob? This is one of my favorite moments in DOTRR, uh, and it is such a cool battle. It is A. Ah, thank you. Good memory, Jacob. Appreciate it. That is correct. At the Battle of Elysia, the Romans were fighting between two walls and were attacked on both sides by Gauls. Uh, Next up, question four. Last episode, Varinus expressed disdain for Marius, the Gracchi, etc., but at least they weren't as bad as Antony. Which politician was Marius related to? Was Marius related to Antony, Caesar, Brutus, or Pompey? This will be Cole's answer first. A. All right. Marius was related to Mark Antony. How about you, BP? Yes, C, Brutus. All right. Uh... Let's see. Uh, uh, Marius was related to Brutus. And how about you, Jacob? Uh, well, I'm going to say Brutus, but I, in my head, I'm misremembering things. I, in my head, I hear Marcus Junius Brutus, but now I'm reading Marius. I'm like, Marius Junius Brutus doesn't sound right, but we're going to stick with it. We're going to say Brutus. <laughs> All right. This one, guys, uh, this is a, a no one got it. Uh, Marius uh, was related to Caesar. He married Caesar's aunt. Hmm. Last question up here, guys. Last episode, Varinus expressed disdain for Marius, the Gracchi, etc. But at least they weren't as bad as Antony. Who or what were the Gracchi? A political faction that formed as a military junta over Rome. They were two brothers who were populist politicians. They were barbarians who were allowed into the Roman Senate and had undue influence. Or were they a father and son who successfully served overextended dictatorships? BP, this will be yours to answer first. Who or what were the Gracchi? I'm going to guess C. All right. They Actually, were... wait. Change my answer to A. A. Okay. They were a political faction that formed as a military junta over Rome. Cole, how about you? B. Uh, two brothers who were populist politicians. And how about you, Jacob? They were my favorite little populists. Yes, indeed. Uh, the Gracchi were two brothers who were populist politicians. I think with that, Jacob will probably take the lead um, for the standings next week. And with that, guys, we'll kind of get wrapped up. Now, I will say when we get to reviewing episode nine, uh, we'll probably do another like a uh, three quarters review of our whole thoughts on the series thus far. But Cole, how about you? What were you saying? Uh, I just want to say that I want to thank Jacob for allowing me to get that one right, because uh in the our initial like preview thing where we go over what we know about history when i listen to it jacob mentions the the Gracchi brothers and then don't stop my head. I, I always mention them they're my favorite <laughs> and with that guys we'll get into our outro here next week we are watching hbo's rome season one episode eight cesarean uh colon bp do you think that this is a name or a place i know what that is actually oh yeah bp mm-hmm. do you want to guess name or place I want to say it's a place, but I also wouldn't be shocked if it was a name. It's a 50-50. Gun to your head. Which is it, man? It's a place. It's a place. Okay, Cole, what are you betting? It's a person. It's a person. Okay. Um, Jacob, I know that you were impressed with the sensuality last episode. Brace yourself. 
Uh, tweet your thoughts uh, no. uh, to at D-O-T-R-R-Pod on Twitter if you want to learn more about the real history. Roughly the first half of Death of the Roman Republic Chapter 13 Grudge Match and Affairs in Alexandria and Africa will correspond to this episode. Uh, please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts if you are able to. My fellow host, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Oh, uh, yes. My name is Jacob. You can follow me on Twitter at SweepCatFishello or you can go to YouTube and watch The Great Wilds. Let's go. Uh, Let's go. Follow me on Letterbox at BP Oil Spill ninety eight. You know, I have uh, I have said in the past that uh, I've had things I was working on, but uh, the things are done. So uh, it, if you would so desire, you can follow me on Twitter <gasps> at Lil Bordy. That's L I L underscore B O R T Y. Oh my God! I wasn't expecting this at all. I yeah, I, I know were. you were not teasing an entire like basically the whole season just for like changing your twitter name Did which happened really... several weeks ago <laughs> yeah but uh and i was gonna drop this at like the after the second or third episode but one of you guys i don't remember who said oh yeah i hope this bit just continues so i was like all right this is funny i'm gonna keep doing it until i run out of ways to make it funny <laughs> and i realized about five minutes ago that i ran out of ways to make it funny. <laughs> with all be- with that being said Friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show. All right, people. I remember what I was going to talk about in our history thing. I, oh, I can't run it, run it, it yeah. because people are here, but it was going to be about, I'm curious to see how, if they depict uh, Cato the Younger's uh, 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 fate. That's all I'll say to keep okay. it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. He's an old guy. Yeah. Too much sun.